Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. April is here, and that means it's time for basketball playoffs. You can use our promo code BLEAVE50, B-L-E-A-V, Five zero to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the link in the description to this episode. Then you can use that 50% welcome bonus at Bet Online Sportsbook to place a plus 6,000 bet on my Sacramento Kings to light the beam and win the NBA championship. Bet Online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody. It is a fantabulous April 6th, 2023. According to my count, it may not be that according to your count. But we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is you may be listening. The NBA playoffs are here. College basketball has passed. The NFL trade free agent cycle has passed. Baseball opening day and the World Baseball Classic have passed. It's time to gear up for meaningful NBA playoff action. And if you've heard me talk sparingly about the NBA over the last three months, I am so freaking excited for this year's NBA playoffs. You have the 10 best players in the NBA all playing on different teams. You have four teams who are clear and above favorites compared to the rest of the league. Three of them happen to play in the same conference. So you're going to get those epic battles between Milwaukee and Boston and Philadelphia. You've got Giannis, Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, Jason Tatum down there in Boston. Well, I guess now actually I just have to correct myself because only nine of the ten best players in the league are going to make the playoffs. Luka Doncic is out of here. The Dallas Mavericks are not going to make the playoffs. So I guess now it's only nine of the ten best players in the league. But nine of the ten best players in the league are going to be on different teams playing against each other in the playoffs. you got Kevin Durant, you've got Kawhi Leonard, you've got Stephen Curry, you've got Anthony Davis, LeBron James tandem, and you've got my hometown, the team I cover, the Sacramento Kings, who don't have one of the 10 best players in the NBA and are coasting on good vibes all the way to an incredible playoff series matchup. It's going to be so much fun, so exciting. I'm Super, super excited for NBA playoff talk, and we're going to get into all of it next week once the matchups are announced, once the previews are possible, once the series breakdowns are here. We know Cleveland's going to play the Knicks, and 
that series is now neutered because Julius Randle is hurt. And even if Julius Randle plays, he's clearly going to be playing at less than 80%. So, you know, the excitement about a Cavs-Knicks series has been neutered a little bit. We're going to get the other seven matchups over the coming week. We're going to get some play-in battles. It's going to be so cool and so much fun. And I'm very, very excited to share that with all of you. Now, back to the rest of the NBA. Today, I wanted to take some time to break down three different teams who all have been eliminated within the last three days. And I wanted to talk about all three of these teams because they are in what I call Sacramento Kings purgatory or Charlotte Hornets purgatory, which is they're not bad enough to tank. Like they were playing for something until about two or three weeks ago. Unlike the Detroit Pistons, Houston Rockets, San Antonio Spurs, Charlotte Hornets, Orlando Magic, even I'll throw in this group, even to a certain extent, the Indiana Pacers. I know the Pacers were really good to start the season, but since January, the Pacers season has been basically over. For, for Houston, for San Antonio, for Detroit, their season was over before the preseason began. They knew in July their season was over. For Orlando, for Indiana, for a couple of those teams in the East, Charlotte. Charlotte, their season's kind of been over since November, but slowly but steadily, they've come to the realization that this year is not going to be their season. And we can add three more teams to that mix now towards the end who are fighting for a play-in spot, but we're not tanking. Uh, there, I really wish I could give credit to this person because I cite it all the time. There's basically a bell curve across 40 years of NBA history, and it's the same thing for the NFL, that every year you have about four championship contending teams. You have about seven, eight in the middle. You've got another seven to eight kind of hanging around the end. You've got another four five teams that are like the the play-in teams which I think is why the play-in was created you know it changes year to year maybe it's four to six play-in caliber teams and then you've got six tanking teams and six tanking teams are pretty clear this season it's the teams I mentioned already Houston San Antonio Charlotte Orlando Indiana and Detroit different levels of tanking depending on the talent of your team like Charlotte has an all-star, Indiana has an all-star, Orlando has a fringe all-star in Franz Wagner, and they're, you know, they're kind of in the weird rebuilding phase where they just got Paolo Bancaro, and he's about to be rookie of the year. So they're they're former really bad tanking, but now they're actually trying to win a little bit. And then you've got the next group of teams that are playing caliber but not playing good and this year, one of them that kind of sneaking in there is Dallas, who's going to miss the playoffs. Dallas is another conversation that we can do another day with someone else who might be a more anti-Kyrie Irving type. Someone who the, the, Everything that needs to be said about Dallas has been said. Every non-factual piece of information, factual piece, everyone has said a lot about Dallas. What people haven't talked a lot about is... These three teams that are all kind of in the middle have long odds to win the lottery. I mean, it's a long shot that any of them will get their lottery picks to hit because they're in the 7-9 to nine range. But the probabilities are that one of these teams will jump into the top four. And it's Portland, Washington, and Utah. And I want to talk about all these teams because all three of them are in such unique positions right now. And uh, just... 
for people keeping track at home. So the chance of getting a top four pick for each of these teams, which is Portland, Washington, and Utah, the probabilities of one of those, the probability of those teams landing a top, uh, for Portland right now, it's 42%. For Washington, it's 31%. For Utah, it's 20%. So between the three of them, there is a 93% chance that one of them will end up in the top four. So one of these three teams, Portland, Washington, or Utah, is going to hit on their lottery pick and get a top pick. That's the most probable outcome. Now there's a chance two of them get it. There's a chance one of them gets it. There's a chance none of them get it. But the probabilities are that one of those teams will jump into the top four, a similar way to how the Sacramento Kings had like the seventh best odds jumped up to get Keegan Murray at number four last season. So I want to go through each of these three teams and kind of do like a eulogy because we like doing eulogies on the show. We're probably not going to talk about any of these teams other than Portland, who's kind of been a super obsessive team this year. We haven't really talked about Washington or Utah at all. And the place I want to start is with Washington because obviously people will draw similarities between Washington and Portland. And that similarity is Bradley Beal is a long-term player who has decided that he wants to stay with the team that he's playing for. He's had plenty of op- every year it's what team is going to trade for Bradley Beal. The Nuggets had an infatuation, the Jazz had an infatuation, the Miami Heat have had infatuations, the Lakers have talked about trading for Bradley Beal. For like 6 years there have been talks about where Bradley Beal is going to get traded to and Bradley Beal has continuously re-upped for the most money with the Washington Wizards, most recently signing a four-year, $210 million extension with the Wizards last summer. And Bradley Beal has been there since he was drafted in 2012. This is now his 11th season with the Wizards. He's under contract for three more seasons. At this year, $46 million a year, up to, I believe, like $55 million per year in the last year of that deal. Bradley Beal has decided he is cool being a wizard. And the Wizards have decided we're cool keeping Bradley Beal. They could have traded Bradley Beal. They could have signed and traded, whatever the case may be. And they Bradley Beal has made it clear he wants to stay in Washington. Washington has kept him. I don't remember if he has a no-trade clause or not, but at the price that he's getting, no team has really gotten in the game for Bradley Beal because Washington's totally cool with him as a foundational piece of their franchise whose jersey they will retire in 10 years. And obviously people draw the comparisons between Damian Lillard and Bradley Beal, which is an all-star playing on a crappy team that doesn't have any other great players. And they used to be competitive. Washington came within one game of the Eastern Conference Finals. Portland made it to the Eastern Con- uh, Western Conference Finals and got swept out by the Warriors in 2019. But both of these teams, despite the fact that they've followed similar trajectories over the last six years and have Damian Lillard and Bradley Beal, both of them are in very different positions right now. Both could benefit from getting a top four pick for different reasons. They would certainly benefit if they landed one of the top three picks and walked away with Victor Wembenyama or Scoot Henderson or I guess you could say uh, Brandon Miller from Alabama or one of the other top prospects in the uh, uh, Overtime Elite G League Ignite program. But getting a top four pick for each of these teams would be unique for different reasons because for the Wizards... They've committed long-term to Bradley Beal. 
The Blazers have obviously committed long-term to Damian Lillard. But the Wizards are also about to commit long-term to Kristaps Porzingis. He was traded last year as kind of a, oh, this didn't work out with Luka situation, and they got back Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans, and obviously they flipped Dinwiddie to get Kyrie Irving. But Kristaps Porzingis has quietly been having a really good season for the Washington Wizards, averaging over 20 points a game, which isn't as impressive as it sounds, like 60 players or more in the NBA right now are averaging over 60 or over 20 points a game right now in the league. Kristaps uh, has been out for a while, but he's averaging 23.2 points, shooting 50%, uh, a pretty good 38% from three-point. He's obviously a volume shooter, so those numbers are going to go down. Eight rebounds, uh, a steal a game, a, a block and a half. Porzingis has been a very good player this year, if not to say a fringe all-star caliber player. And with Bradley Beal being out for portions of the season, it has been a it has been a successful season. I mean, Kristaps has put up similar numbers to Bradley Beal this year. And granted, Bradley Beal has not played in a ton of games. He's only played in 50 this year. He played in 40 last year for the Wizards. Uh, it's it, Bradley Beal has been an uh, absentee star for the Wizards for a minute here. And Washington having Bradley Beal and Kristaps Porzingis means they'll never be bad enough to tank and like have the best probabilities at a top pick. But they can also be in the lottery machine and eventually get a top player. Uh, A couple years ago, they had a lottery pick and they selected Rui Hachimura with pick nine. They selected Denny Advia with pick number nine. A couple years ago, they got Corey Kispert at the top of the lottery. I can't remember if that was like 13 or 14 or whatever pick it was, but they ended up with Corey Kispert. They've been playing the long shot odds for a lottery pick and... Washington right now has their best odds to land a lottery pick in quite some time. And this is the interesting thing about being in that middle class when it comes to the lottery. Last year, Washington took Johnny Davis from Wisconsin with the 10 pick. So they've been in the 9-10 range for like four straight seasons now. 2019, or uh, sorry, yeah, 2019 was Rui, 2021 was Denny Advia, 2022 was Kispert. I can't remember who they picked in 2021, but uh, Denny Advia was 2020, uh, Kispert 2022, and then, uh, oh no, this would be Kispert 2021, Johnny Davis 2022, because this year's 2023. So the last four years, they've been in that group of picks between 9 and 13, and If you stay in the lottery long enough, eventually the odds will even out that you will get a top four pick. Doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get the top pick in the draft. Like, for example, the the ninth best odds in the lottery are a 20% chance at getting a top four pick. This is Washington's fifth year in a row in the lottery. They might have made the playoffs the Kispert year, but the point being, like, this is their fifth year in a row of being a non-competitive team. And Washington, if you average it out to 20% chance at getting the lottery, which the nine pick is, I mean, this year they're the six, the year with Kispert, they were either 13 or 14. If you average those odds out, one of those years you should hit in the top four. If you stay in the lottery long enough, eventually the ping pong ball's probability says will break your way and you'll get a top pick. And this year is the best chance for Washington because as things currently stand right now, they're in a... A four-way tie right now with 
Portland, Indiana, and Orlando. So they could be anywhere from 42% chance at the top pick to a 31% chance at the top pick. So Washington is in this unique position where the probabilities for them is... Well, actually, so Washington at this point is in a position where they could land anywhere between a 21 and 41% chance at the top pick in the draft based on how this season ends, which regardless of where it ends up will be their best lottery odds over those five years. And so this reminds me of the uh, Charlotte Hornets from a couple years ago. Remember when Charlotte was moving on from Kemba Walker and brought in Terry Rozier and Gordon Hayward? And they were still a fine team. They they finished, I think, was like eighth worst in the league that first year after Kemba left, after they had been in what I call 10th seed purgatory for about three or four years at the end of Kemba's run. And that first year post-Kemba was the year they hit the ping pong ball odds machine and got the three pick that became LaMelo Ball. And now LaMelo Ball is the foundational piece for their franchise. Granted, LaMelo Ball won't be good enough to make them better than the 10th seed in the East. They need another all-star caliber player along with LaMelo Ball to start talking about making the playoffs. They'll need another player in order to start talking about consistently making the playoffs. One of those players is going to have to be better than LaMelo Ball because as good as LaMelo Ball is as a 22-year-old all-star, He's not a number he doesn't seem like a generational star or a number one on a future team. As great as Lamelo Ball is, he will only take them so far. We're kind of seeing something similar right now with uh with someone like uh say Minnesota with Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards along with another all-star or with, you know, call it two all-stars between Gobert and Towns. I know Towns didn't play this year, but Anthony Edwards with one all-star can only do you so much at this stage of the game, even though Anthony Edwards I would regard as maybe his generation's best basketball player developing. So Charlotte needs to surround LaMelo with talent, but Washington on the flip side has the talent in place. And if they could just hit on the ping pong ball and get a top pick, or even if they don't get a top pick, draft a little bit better than they have the last four years, when they selected Rui Hachimura, who after three and a half years, they flipped to the Lakers for second round picks. Denny Advia, who plays every game, but is not a consistent, uh, pl- I think he averages like nine points a game. He's a role player. Maybe he'll get extended by the Wizards. Corey Kispert, another fine player, shooting threat from the wing. Not a best player on the, I mean, he's like the fifth best player on the team right now. And Johnny Davis, we'll see what happens with him as the number 10 pick, but the odds are not great. So like, even if you don't get a top four pick, just drafting better than you have the last few years, you might just need that one piece to get back to 10 seed territory in the East. And I know 10 seed territory doesn't sound great for Washington. Their situation is not really great. Paying $80 million a year when the salary cap, so paying about 70% of your salary cap to Bradley Beal, and Kristaps Porzingis is not ideal. So in a not ideal situation, Washington is making the best of what they got right now. And by the way, they need this not ideal situation because remember they tried it with Russell Westbrook. The first time they make the playoffs, 
that draft pick will go away basically because it keeps getting hit with protections that they keep hitting because like last year they missed the playoffs so they saved their pick this year they had a top 14 protection on the pick and they get to keep it next year it's a top 12 protection or it goes to the rockets so washington is protecting their picks developing players maybe a little bit better than Rui Hachimura, Denny Advia, Corey Kispert, and Johnny Davis in the middle of the draft. They've got a lot of pieces like that, but they don't have the top-end star. And I should mention that they also have Kyle Kuzma. Seems pretty clear Kyle Kuzma is not going to be on their team next year. He's going to get $20, 25000000 million a year in free agency from some team that is not the Washington Wizards. So I should acknowledge Kuzma is their number three. He won't be their number three next season. He is playing his last two or three games in a Washington Wizards uniform this week. So, hey, Washington would really benefit from getting one of these lottery picks. Hey. Next up on our list, the Portland Trailblazers. Anytime we talk about the Portland Trailblazers, I want to play the Damian Lillard Blizzard freestyle, the rap that he wrote and freestyled on the team plane sitting at the Portland airport because they had the largest storm in over 100 years in the Portland area snow them out of their flight. It's pretty cool rap. How the fuck we stuck up in the snow. Portland Trailblazers are in an interesting place because similarly to the Washington Wizards, they have Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard will have his jersey retired there. He will get a statue in Portland. I can't figure out which statue would be cooler for Damian Lillard. Would it be cooler to have him pointing to the watch as his statue in Portland? Or would it be cooler with him waving goodbye to the Thunder? I'm not sure which one would be cooler as a statue for Damian Lillard in Portland. So Damian Lillard is there, and for about the last three seasons, Portland has been pretty firmly in rebuild mode. Like, it hasn't felt that way because they've been in the conversation every year. They've been pretty firmly rebuilding. They traded CJ McCollum last year at the trade deadline, 2022, Missed the play. They basically traded CJ McCollum now that it's all said and done for two first round picks. They sent Josh Hart and a first rounder back to Portland. There were some other pieces in between that were less important, but they sent Josh Hart and a first round pick for CJ McCollum. They just flipped Josh Hart for Cam Reddish and a protected first round pick. Portland basically traded CJ McCollum for two first round picks, which, by the way, not terrible. If DeJounte Murray goes for three first-round picks, trading C.J. McCollum for two is not a bad move at all, especially because New Orleans had draft picks burning a hole in their pocket and didn't know what to do with them. So you know what? Not terrible job. Portland has been 
poorly run for about four years now. Their general manager was fired for a toxic workplace environment. He probably could have been fired for cause and could have been fired for just not running the team very well, building around Dame and CJ. They, they made a couple gaffes, didn't really build a championship caliber team, just Damian Lillard was on one during the 2019 playoffs, and that delivered a moment for them that makes it all worth it in a way. 2021 playoffs, you remember, they were a sixth seed, and that was that game that Damian Lillard scored the last, like, 24 points of the game and, like, carried them to overtime and carried them to double overtime against the Nuggets, and then C.J. McCollum, like, a pass went off his hands out of bounds, and that was the end of, like, one of the greatest playoff performances I've ever seen. So Damian Lillard gets out of the bubble and the next year they get the sixth seed, and then after that they've just got like nothing really left in the tank. But then they also have done some moves that suggest they're not going to tear this whole thing to the ground. They're like trying to show Dame that they are still a competitive team while also being rebuilding at the same time, kind of like building the plane in the sky where they trade CJ McCollum for two first-round picks, then they trade for Jeremy Grant in exchange for a first-round pick and uh, I think some second-rounders or whatever it was. They trade for Jeremy Grant. Then they give away Norman Powell for free to the Clippers. They really didn't get anything in return other than Justice Winslow. They didn't even get a draft pick for Norman Powell. They just wanted to offload the contract. Then in, then they just took that money that they got off of Norman Powell and gave it to Anthony Simons. Then they traded for Matisse Thibel, even though they traded away Josh Hart. It's been very interesting to see the moves that Portland has made. Not All of them periphery and none of them good enough to get them to the playoffs because as soon as you trade Damian Lillard for two first-round picks, or sorry, when you trade CJ McCollum for two first-round picks... That's the that's the thing that you needed to just fall to the back of the pack. Once you make that one move, you're in the rebuild mode. And what's interesting for Portland is that last year they got a higher draft pick than any of the Wizards last four years, who we were talking about a second ago, because they shut down Damian Lillard and tanked correctly. And I put correctly in air quotes. They tanked correctly and got the number seven pick in the draft, and took Shaden Sharp. And Shaden Sharp legitimately looks like he could be a, a Rookie of the Year finalist, all-rookie team player. He's averaging 20 points a game on a really crappy team. But Shaden Sharp looks like a, fa- a foundational piece, and in a couple years could be their number two or number three player. And they're going to get a really good shot at a top pick this year. I mean, right now they have the fifth best odds in the lottery because they're one game worse than Washington, Indiana, and Orlando. And if they got that final spot, if they tank correctly and they hold on to that final fifth spot in the lottery, they would have a 42% chance of landing a top four pick. They would have a 10% chance of landing Big Vic, a 21% chance of getting Big Vic or Scoot Henderson. They would be in a pretty damn good position at number five overall in the draft to potentially get a generational star for the future. The same way that 10 years ago when they drafted Damian Lillard, they still had LaMarcus Aldridge. 
and bringing in Damian Lillard and pairing him with LaMarcus Aldridge. Aldridge, a maybe Hall of Famer, but Hall of Very Good, no question. He's one of the 100 leading scorers in NBA history. Aldridge and Dame won a playoff series against the Dwight Howard Houston Rockets. And I feel like it would be a similar situation with Dame at the back end of his career, still sort of in his physical prime, and Shaden Sharp, and Big Vic, or just a top draft pick, whether it's Brandon Miller or Big Vic or Scoot or whoever it ends up being. Top draft pick, plus Shaden Sharp, plus Damian Lillard, plus... Jeremy Grant, Matisse Thibel, Amfordy Simons. It would take a couple years, but they're willing to take that couple years because Dame has given them the affirmation he will be there long term. He is that foundational piece. And they can they can actually build for the future around Damian Lillard's contract and around Damian Lillard's desire to remain in Portland. And I think that's a really interesting situation. It's different than Washington because they are rebuilding. They are very clearly in the rebuilding camp. Washington is not necessarily in that place. So it's interesting to see Portland find themselves in that position and Washington, teams who constantly get compared to each other because of the Dame Lillard-Bradley Beal comparisons, being star players, making a lot of money on bad teams that don't want to play for championships. And both are in such very distinct situations And both will also have very similar spots in the lottery. And I don't know if Portland's going to be able to turn it around right away with two, a rookie, a a 20-year-old, a 19-year-old, and Amphrey Simons kind of being an eye player around Damian Lillard. I don't think that's going to be able to turn it around right away. But it will be able to turn it around if you give it two to three years. And they've already spent the two years losing to get the draft picks necessary to turn this ship around. Maybe Chauncey Billups doesn't survive as coach. Maybe they bring in someone new. Maybe they alternate in some players. Maybe they even trade one of those players for a bona fide star if the opportunity presents itself. Or maybe they trade Anthony Simons for another player. I don't know who it would end up being. Maybe they take a flyer on... I mean, who knows what they end up doing. There's all sorts of possibilities. What's important for them is whatever position they end up, they really are hoping to hit on a lottery spot. But even if they don't, they probably won't fall any further than seven in the draft. And if they fall no further than seven in the draft, they've got a pretty good chance of landing a future starting caliber to star player. I mean, they've already hit once with Shaden Sharp. He looks like he is one of the next better things in the NBA. I'm not going to say next best thing, but one of the next better things in the NBA. And that's all they really need right now because they have Damian Lillard and still have Jeremy Grant on the team and they've done the bulk of their losing over the last two seasons to try and get back into the climb up the Western Conference. Hey. Uh-huh. Shooters in the locker room like Cleo Wizard. Uh-huh. Got me tight, stepped up in this 
All right, last but not least, the Utah Jazz. They're out of the playoff race. They were in it longer than a lot of people thought because I've been saying this consistently about the Jazz since, well, I guess the last time we talked about them, which was the Donovan Mitchell trade and early part of the season. When we saw the Utah Jazz trade Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, everyone assumed that they would be tanking for Big Vic. In reality, it's hard to trade in the structures of the NBA where you have to match salaries and and players have to go back and forth on both sides. In the NBA, it's really hard to get bad enough that quickly when you're tearing down a team that was consistently one of the eight best in the NBA. Unless you're just giving them away for nothing or they sign as free agents for nothing, it's hard to not get enough back to make yourself competitive. We just asked the question, we didn't ask the question of what were they getting back in return. People made the correlation of, well, you don't have Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, therefore you are tanking. They did the same thing when the Thunder traded Russell Westbrook and Paul George after 2019. It was, well, now they don't have those players, they're tanking. And remember, Oklahoma City in the bubble year made the playoffs as the five seed. They lost in the first round in seven games against the Rockets. Because once they made that flip of Paul George and Westbrook, they couldn't find anyone to take Chris Paul. And so Chris Paul played out the season in Oklahoma and then got traded to the the Phoenix Suns for not enough of what Chris Paul was worth. They basically got two first round picks for Chris Paul. They should have gotten more, but still. They made the playoffs with Chris Paul and Lou Dort and Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and Danilio Gallinari. And Utah replaced Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell with Larry Markkinen and Walker Kessler. And those two foundational pieces have been basically as good as Rudy Gobert his last year in Utah and Larry Markkinen, a lesser version of Donovan Mitchell. I mean, Larry Markkinen's taller. He's more. He obviously shoots more from the perimeter than Donovan Mitchell does. More of a primary ball handling, mid-range dunk kind of. Sorry, layup and three-pointer type with Donovan Mitchell. Not saying Donovan Mitchell's a mid-range guy. No, Donovan Mitchell's a three-pointer layup guy. Larry Markkinen has been a diet Donovan Mitchell in that offense, and basically, Larry Markkinen's now playing the three for the Utah Jazz. I mean, he's been out the last 10 games of the season, but when he was playing, he was basically playing a three in a positionless offense for the Utah Jazz. And they got a first-round pick for Royce O'Neal. They flipped Mike Conley at the deadline and got a first-round pick for him uh, from the Lakers, and they traded Malik Beasley and uh, Jared Vanderbilt in order to secure that first-round pick. Utah finds themselves in an interesting position where they traded their two-star players and now have two foundational pieces of the future in Larry Markkinen, the Finnish finisher, and Blocker Kessler, a.k.a. Walker Kessler, or Walker Kessler Ranger, as I call him. They have two foundational pieces. I'm not going to say they're like future all I mean, Markkinen was an all-star this year, but I'm not going to say like they are found. They are future stars that will lead them back to a number one seed in the West. They're two foundational pieces 
who will be there for many, many years with the Utah Jazz. And uh, Agbaji, who is the the other first-round pick they got last year, he's a rookie. He put up like 25 against the Kings. But Agbaji is a player who's going to get an opportunity to be part of their long-term future. I know he's kind of a middle-of-the-first-round pick, so maybe he won't get the rotational minutes as time goes on. But as they rebuild, Abaji's going to get a chance to be a roster player. And I was going through the rest of their team. They do have a lot of guys on one-year expiring contracts. Juan Toscano-Anderson, Damian Jones, Rudy Gay, Kelly Olenek. They're going to have some freedom and flexibility this offseason to manipulate that roster. And it's interesting to see that because it reminds me of Oklahoma City after they traded Paul George and Russell Westbrook. Where they went to the bottom of the lottery the next season, but out of that they had Shai Gilgis-Alexander, who's now better than Paul George. And we have numbers that can quantify that to be the case. The Thunder are the 10 seed this year, getting to make the play-in. That team has no business being in the play-in. It's Shea Gilgis-Alexander, I don't know if Shea or Shy, whatever, but Shea Gilgis-Alexander has been amazing for Oklahoma City. Amazing. And if he weren't on that team this year, they would be right there with the Houstons and the San Antonios at the bottom of the lottery. If you gave Shea Gilgis-Alexander competence, they would be a playoff team, no question right now. In fact, since January 1st, they have been one of the 10 best teams in the NBA in net rating. Oklahoma City, in 2021, reminds me of where Utah is right now. They know two people who are going to be on the team four years from now. Larry Markkinen, Blocker Kessler. Those are their two foundational pieces. Maybe Abaji will be there, and in what role, we still have no idea. He's a rookie and, and such a young piece of what they're building. And they have two other pieces as starters and, and a sixth man in Jordan Clarkson and Colin Sexton. I'm operating under the assumption that they are there. They might be there next year. It's just when is the point that they won't be there anymore because of their age, because of their financial situations, because of their level of productivity. I suspect that Colin Sexton, Jordan Clarkson are not fundamental pieces for when when Utah wants to compete again. I have a good feeling they will not be fundamental pieces of that team. So maybe they'll be on the team next year. Maybe one of them will be on the team next year. Maybe neither of them will be on the team next year. They just won't be there when Oklahoma, when Utah decides they are ready to compete. And that's just because, again, their contracts are going to expire. The team is going to see uh, is going to get an opportunity to trade them for draft picks. Whatever the situation may be. Sexton and Clarkson will probably not be on the Utah Jazz when they are ready to compete again. But if you know that only three of your roster spots are locked up for the future, Markin and Kessler and Abaji, well, it opens up so many opportunities and so many combinations for you to work with. And maybe they go to the bottom of the draft next year and try and get a top five pick. Maybe they become a tanking team. Maybe they try and trade for some players. 
there's so many interesting, unique combinations they can work with because with the one-year contracts coming off the books, the, I, if they were doing their due diligence, they will shop Colin Sexton and Jordan Clarkson to see what they can get. Utah essentially for the long run has three roster spots locked in. And so that gives you eight, nine opportunities to try rookie players like Johnny Juzang from UCLA to bring in second round picks. They get two first round picks this year, I believe. I know for sure they have their own pick, which will be a lottery selection. I don't remember if this is a year that they get a Minnesota draft pick, but I presume just all the trades they've made, they get future first round picks from somewhere. So they get they get the 76ers pick, they get their own pick, they get the Timberwolves pick. Okay, so they do have Minnesota's pick this year. So there you go. They get three first-round picks this year. They have uh, no second-round picks this year. But then next year, they get a protected pick from Oklahoma City and their own pick. They get the Timberwolves pick in 2025. They get the Cleveland Cavaliers pick in 2025 via the, the trade with uh, the trade for Jordan uh, for Donovan Mitchell. There's so many interesting combinations they can work through because only five of their players long-term are committed to the team. I'm sorry, not five. Three players are committed long-term to the team. And so there's so many interesting combinations they can work through and draft picks they can select, second rounders they could bring in, undrafted guys. There's so many interesting combinations for Utah to work through. And similar to Oklahoma City, they could wait a year and try and go to the bottom of the lottery next year. Or that 20% chance of getting a top four pick, that 5% chance of landing the top pick in the draft, maybe they get lucky and hit on a lottery pick this year. And if those ping pong balls fall their way, it could speed up their timeline quite significantly faster than I think many of us are prepared for because they already have those three foundational pieces. And if they hit on a lottery pick this year, keep Sexton Clarkson and see what you could do with a team of those guys, a one year older blocker Kessler and Larry Markinen playing at an all-star caliber level. It'll be interesting to see how they proceed in that situation. And so many interesting opportunities are on the table for all three of these teams as they go into the offseason. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We've got episodes every single day, Monday through Friday, as well as Wired Up on Sundays. Leave a five-star review, leave a download. All of that support is much appreciated. If you want to take it a step further, check out our new book. We wrote a book. It's 300 pages long. It's on the San Antonio Spurs. It's called the Spurs Dynasty. You can purchase it wherever you get books with the link in the description to this episode. We'll be back for one more episode this week on Friday. Looking forward to talking to all of you. And in the meantime, take it easy. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? 
That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.